Taylor Smurl. And I'm Liz June. And this is Neat. It's a weekly booze cast. It's a history lesson with a twist. Uh, yeah. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hello. How was your week? My week was good. Yeah. Um, I binged. Well, okay. So I started binging the third season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh-huh. and then I had to stop because I don't want to like give away any spoilers. So if you if you don't want the third season of Mrs. Maisel to be spoiled for you, then here's your chance to wait you're gonna spoil it right no now? i'm not i'm not oh. i'm just like i'm gonna talk about something that's like okay so basically okay so in the third season she's on tour with this musician called shy baldwin and the episode that i had to stop i had to like turn it off was when she was opening for him at the apollo you know and the comedian before her is moms who is like a really well-known black comedian and then she's gonna go on she's like a white woman opening for shy and basically like in the episode like goes to to say hi to this comedian that she idolizes and that comedian's manager is like you took mom's spot like you should like you shouldn't be opening for shy this is for a black audience as a black performer and so then like right before she's supposed to go on the singer's manager is like don't do your regular jokes like you should talk about this guy on tour there's also like an element of like this singer confided in mrs mazel the main character that uh he's gay which is like a big deal in the 60s so i'm like i was like oh my god oh no she's about to like say something off cuff like and out him at the apollo and I couldn't, well, I don't know how it actually, I don't know what happens in that episode, but I had to stop. Okay. I, I just like, I can, like, as far as like cringe, uncomfortable things, like I can watch like Shit's Creek, like I can watch like people embarrassing themselves, but like the idea of ruining someone's career or something like that, like, like something that's like a really big deal, even though it's fiction, like it was really stressing me out. So I just stopped watching it. And instead I watched the second season of Shrill, which was really good and uplifting. <laughs> okay. <Sorry>. All right. <laughs> it, no, it was really good. It's really good. It's like this, the second season's really awesome. Have you, you know what, what show I'm talking about? No. It's with AD Bryant. Oh yeah. 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 The, yeah. the girl from Mesodel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but this season had, like, an episode that, like, focused on her best friend and they, like, go to, like, her her best friend is Nigerian and her cousin is getting married so they go to this Nigerian wedding and, like, to deal with, like, family issues because her best friend Fran is the character is gay and it's, like, this whole thing. But then, like, the ending, like, the season finale is really sweet it was good. If you want like a feel good thing, it was okay. good. Well, this is the par- this is a this is now a Liz's TV show review podcast. You asked me <laughs> how my week was, and this is what I did <laughs> this, this is, week. That was a, that, that was not uh, okay. Right. Okay, well we can cut it if it's it's probably going to be too long. How was your week? What did you do? What's up? I I you know I uh, I worked a lot. I was you know just behind the bar prepping stuff. Our restaurants pick it up. I guess uh, you know I don't know some people kept up with sober january some people didn't the bars are busier i don't know yeah I don't know. that's cool it was a oh, work week 
So this week, we're answering some of the questions that you guys have sent us on Patreon. And I'm going to take this moment to just remind y'all that all you have to do if you want to send us a question is join our Patreon. That means you can give us $1 or more if you want. Yeah. Go crazy. Yeah. And so obviously, yep. so some of the questions we've answered, we've gotten full episodes out of. Uh, so today we've just got, we've picked some that kind of had somewhat shorter answers, um, you know, maybe didn't require an entire lecture on. So yeah, yeah we've got, we've got five of your questions coming at you today. Yeah. Thank you so much for those. I'm excited to answer these. Yes. Our first question comes from, and I'm going to say the full name that they put on display because it's not a last name, but this is from Aiden the Warlock. Thank you. The, the thank you the warlock <laughs> thank you the warlock um <laughs> aiden says you've used tea in a couple of your recipes i'm a tea enthusiast is there a history of tea in cocktails slash alcohol is there absolutely so when we talk about tea in cocktails the use of tea with alcohol and sort of like to make things palatable uh predates are the sort of birth of cocktail culture. You really can go back to like the mid 1700s, um, when uh, which we've talked about on some pr- past episodes of when we've talked about like punches. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, like the, the British- teas an ingredient in punch. That's yeah. like the classic punch formula. Absolutely, um, and it, and it makes sense because like this time, like where we're finding the first real documented uses of tea and like punch builds, you know, you've got this associated with like. Uh, merchants going overseas with like the the East India Trading Company. So on these ships, they had fruit, they had spices, they had booze, and they had tea. So all these things ended up in punch. Yeah, um, put them all together. Yeah, this also makes sense at the time um, because tea, like brewed to strength, uh, up against the rum that we had, which was the main thing going to these punches, was rough stuff at the time. So you kind of wanted a bunch of stuff in there to mask the taste of that rough rum. Tea was very good at that. And uh, also we didn't have, bitters weren't really like, obviously there were medicinal bitters going back into ancient times, but it wasn't really associated with like this kind of a, like pre-cocktail, like drinking culture. We weren't really drinking bitters in that way yet. Right. So tea was providing us with a very important the sort of complexity and the astringent and the bitter qualities to balancing a libation. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, but of course, when we hit the birth of the cocktails, uh, you know, in like the 19th century, um, we, you, using like brewed tea in cocktails goes by the wayside. Uh, bitters come to the forefront. Um, people's palates are adjusting to better spirits, more properly made, properly distilled spirits. Uh, they like stronger drinks. Mm -hmm. Tea is, in the past it was used, was very, you know, used to dilute a drink down. Makes sense. So we kind of lose tea in cocktails for like a lot of the modern era, um, up until like now where you find it on a lot of menus. Um, we've, as you mentioned, we've used it in a lot. Nowadays, it's less like a tea brewed properly. You'll find that still in punches, but... Oh, yeah. And yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of, like, I mean, the punch cocktail is getting popular again, too. I'm, like, I'm seeing that on a lot of menus. So anything that you're gonna... Like, I, I feel like we refer to the punch base, the punch recipe 
as often as we refer to like the sour recipe like this is like a punch build or this is a sour build yeah i like a lot of especially bars that are kind of you know pulling from their history books and trying to kind of provide Mm. a pre-prohibition feel like i feel like you find this in like speakeasy bars there's always like a large format punch and that's always using that classic which we've said a million times on the podcast, but it's 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 cute, so it's it's worth repeating. The, Super cute. Yeah, one, one of, of sour, two of sweet, three of strong, and four of weak. The sour is citrus. The sweet is some sort of sugar or simple syrup. The strong is a booze, and the weak is the tea. So the tea is actually the biggest proportion of liquid mm-hmm. going into your punch. Uh, now, in cocktailing, obviously, you don't want... Uh, with very few exceptions, you don't want your drink to taste like just tea with alcohol in it. Um, there there are certain cultural touchstones where that happens. Like, you know, mm-hmm. in Japan, you have like shochu and like oolong highballs, which is very popular, which is tea with like some shochu in the bottom of it. And it's meant to taste like tea. You're supposed to taste the tea. Uh, but more more in like American style, like cocktail bartending, we're using tea more and um, a couple applications. Uh Mainly just as an infusion. Oh, uh, yeah. We made a ton of tea syrups. Yeah. So you're going to, you know, when you're talking about infusions, you can infuse syrups, like you mentioned. You can use base spirits, and you can use modifiers so or liqueurs. Uh, so all those things kind of have a different philosophy behind them. Like a syrup is you're basically just brewing like a tea concentrate and sweetening it. Mm. So for that, I'll do like one tea bag for every four ounces of water. So it's a super concentrated syrup. Uh, if I'm using it in like a liquor or a base spirit, higher alcohol content is going to pull more qualities out of the tea. Kind of works like like heat in that sense. Um, so if you're infusing like a base spirit, you know, you're using like four or five four or five tablespoons of tea to like a 750 milliliter bottle. And then modifiers, you're kind of like, it's lower alcohol, so you've got to infuse it longer, uh, but it kind of, you're also probably using less of it to drink, so just sort of all factors that you want to play with because nowadays tea is something that you have to balance against all the other elements of a cocktail so just you know putting a bunch of tea on top of your drink is going to drown it out Uh, we don't really want that anymore we want to taste the spirits you want to sneak it in and consider you know how tannic is your tea how much of the flavor are you going for and then finding the right home for it in the structure of your drink which is where where it fits into modern bartending Nice. Okay, so next question. This is from Alicia or Alicia. I'm not sure how you prefer your name pronounced, but Alicia says, I don't know if it's true or not, but what's up with the idea that Guinness in the U.S. is watered down versus how it is in Ireland? I've never been to Ireland to try it myself, but I feel like people always talk about how thick it is. But when I drink it here, it has that heavy, dark beer taste without any of the heavy feelings. So that idea makes sense to me. If it is true, why? Other Guinness-related questions, if you feel so inclined. Why is it so bad out of a bottle versus tap? Why do people like layering it with other beers like in Black and Tans or Blacksmiths? I have been to Ireland to the Guinness storehouse. Oh, as yes. have I. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Did you have a good experience there? I did have a good experience. I did like a, um, I went with Travis and we did a, um, it was like a tasting and a class. So we tried a different, a few different ones and we learned how you're actually supposed to pour it. And Very cool. Yeah, it was really cool. 
Well, um, to, to sort of, to, to answer your question, uh, Alicia, Alicia, the quick answer is it's the same beer. Yeah. Um, so right now, all the beer that we'd have in, um, in America, in the UK, it's all brewed in Dublin. So it is the same beer. It's not a different formula, which some people suspect. It's not like the Irish keep the good stuff for themselves. Yeah. It's not uh, watered down. No. But there are some factors that still I think are worth considering that would affect your enjoyment that I think do make for the case that it is better in Ireland. Mm -hmm. Uh, So first off is time. Um, It's pretty generally known that the freshest beer is usually the best beer. Yeah. So just, you know, by logic, the, the beer that is just traveling down the street to a pub in Dublin is probably gonna be a lot fresher than the beer that has to be imported into America. So that's definitely one factor and kind of like building off of that. Secondly, on the topic of freshness is how long that keg has been at the walk-in at your local bar. By that, I mean like in areas where Guinness is more popular, those taps are running all day. Right. Yeah. Like if you're at a popular Mm -hmm. pub in, in Dublin, lots of people are drinking Guinness. That Guinness is... That keg is going, is getting kicked faster. Mm-hmm. You know, the tap line is staying cold. It's fresh. Guinness is pumping through it all day. Versus like, you know, if you're not drinking, if you're drinking Guinness at a place where the Guinness isn't very popular, the Guinness could have sat there for a while. Right. And beer does expire in a keg. Like, yeah, it's not going to go bad and make you sick, but the flavor will suffer. Right. I mean, this is like, I mean, I'm sure this is going to play into another factor I'm sure you're going to mention, but like when I took the tour at the Guinness Storehouse, the thing that they stress the most is that if you want good Guinness served properly, then you just should go to a bar that serves a lot of it. Right. Absolutely. Because then they're like, obviously the tap's going to be changed more often, it's going to be fresher, and they're going to have more experience in pouring it. Well, and that that kind of brings us to our third thing, which I quantified as talent. Oh, Um, yeah. (laughs) Well, because the thing about Guinness is it's a unique pour. The people at Guinness have devised that it takes uh, 119.5 seconds to... Oh, I I saw it. 0.53. Okay, so that that's they're very specific about yeah. how long it takes to properly pour a pint. There is an art to it, and it has to do with the glass. Yeah, so the, lo- the the logo. There's a it's a, like it's about two thirds of the way up the glass, uh, or sorry, three fourths of the way. That's mm-hmm. uh, there's like little little harp logo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you want to pour to that, and you tilt it at a 45 degree angle, like you open the tap and pour it to that, um, and then you let it sit. And you come back to it and top it off right after it finishes cascading. The, oh yeah, the the um the guy who was teaching us was like even more specific. Like you're supposed to aim the tap at the bottom of the harp, fill it up to the bottom, and then you tilt it like from the 45 degree angle. You tilt it upright and fill it to the top of the harp. Then you let it sit for 119.53 seconds. Mm, okay, and then when you go back to top it off to push the tap forward right you push to the back yeah yeah well so the there's a cool thing about guinness that actually affects affected the beer uh industry on large and that's the unique blend of beer gas that is used to power the tap Um, (laughs) beer gas (laughs) beer gas yes so there is both carbon dioxide and nitrogen that is used to pour the guinness Mm. um uh, if you've seen, like, you've definitely seen, like, nitro pours at bars where it's just nitrogen. It's a really smooth, smooth pour. 
Guinness doesn't pour for that. It's this unique blend. And actually, in the industry, we call it G-Mix. Uh, and I, for the longest time, I wondered what the G meant. The G literally comes from Guinness. Oh, shit. And it's this unique blend of nitrogen and carbon dioxide that was sort of, you know, came into prominence associated with Guinness. But now lots of beer runs off of just everybody uses G- or you use G-Mix for your whole line. And uh, and that, that little bit of nitrogen in there, um, that's the th- stuff that's really important in Guinness. Because Guinness, like, as it is brewed, is very flat. There's very little carbonation in it. So that nitrogen goes down, and then it takes a while to travel back up. Oh, And that's right. what forms that head. So because okay. because Guinness doesn't have a lot of carbonation to it, if you pour it off the tap, it's not like it's not like some beers that are really foamy and they'll foam over. Right. So you have to wait. Um, it's it'll pour a full pint of like you know without the creamy head, but the creamy head is so important. Right. Um, and the other thing that happens when you're waiting for the the Guinness to settle is uh, it comes up to temperature. Mm. So there's sort of a, a school of thought that the those like roasted malts in the Guinness that are so characteristic of the flavor open up as the beer warms up a few degrees right. over that 119.53 seconds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah. Well, and then I think the, the one last thing that uh, affects why Guinness tastes better in Ireland versus anywhere else is that you're drinking Guinness in Ireland. Oh, yeah. It's, right, that helps. Yeah, it's it's the ambiance. It's you know when you For when sure. you're drinking at an old pub in I don't know. I was gonna say Temple Bar. I feel like people in Dublin are gonna think like that's probably a lame area. I feel like it's touristy. It's it was cool to touristy. me. Um, but yeah, there's a there's just it's that it's that people generally report having. There were like actual studies done on this. Like people ask drinkers, they're like, oh yeah, everybody thinks it tastes better here. It's like well, yeah, because you're at a cool old bar in Dublin. It's like, psychological. Of course it tastes. Why do you think it tastes better? Yeah. So that that is something that just creates a better experience hey uh, that yeah. makes sense what about the bottle versus the tap uh well i know that they have those bottles now that have the little the little nitrogen they have the cans yeah yeah, oh, yeah the nitro the, cans yeah. yeah 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 um and that's like i mean from what i understand that's just as it's it's supposed to be just as good as drinking from the tap yeah i think that because the the flavor profile of guinness is so tightly connected to that that nitro quality mm-hmm. i think that the cans with the nitro cartridge in are kind of that's the answer because yeah. i think you just you can't put it in a bottle without that and have the same experience that makes sense well i mean they wouldn't have they wouldn't have gone to the trouble of making that special can if that's not how they wanted you to have it yeah besides the tap the tap is going to be i mean they the guinness people have put a lot of thought into oh yeah this. so like they're they're gonna want you to have it from the tap they have a specific way of of that preparation but then the next best thing is probably gonna be the can yeah and then bottling is hmm. well i don't know yeah i mean because you, you i mean we we drink guinness from a bottle when, when that's what the option is but right. uh it's but, not your favorite yeah i mean that's and that's true for a lot of beers that are generally poured on yeah. nitro specifically, especially like the full nitro lines. Like that's, if you've ever had like a, I don't know, like a left-hand milk stout poured on a nitro, it just, it's so thick and creamy and you just don't, you're, you don't get the same effect oh, yeah. from a bottle. No, yeah. I mean, I generally prefer beer from a can. I mm. mean, I actually, like, it's, okay, it's mixed, I have mixed feelings because I feel like a bottle feels like there's something socially satisfying psychologically satisfying about drinking from a bottle because it's like 
Mm. It feels nice to hold, but then like I like the taste of of th- beers from a can in general. I mean, and I'm talking about like Tecate, yeah, which is just a completely different thing. <laughs> well, I, you know, this is this is a bit of an aside, but I there is like a lot of uh, a lot of light damage can happen to beer in a bottle oh, um, yeah. that you don't have to worry about in a can. True. Um, there's you know as far as like what keeps the beer fresher a lot of people i mean granted there are people that put beer in a can and i i'm sure there's like specific research on this but Mm. there's a lot of school of thought that say the can actually keeps the beer fresher than the bottle and i would say a a well maintained fresh draft beer is going to be better than them both it's just that when you're dealing with draft lines you're dealing with some human error possibilities mm. as far as are your kegs cold enough? Are your lines chilled? Is your gas mixture right? Is your pressure right? So mm. that's the talent factor. You that is the talent about. factor. Yeah, uh, I do want to note though, I because th- I thought this was interesting when I was researching this. Um, uh, if you happen to be listening right now in uh, in Africa, um, ignore all of this uh, because your Guinness is different. Oh yeah, um, probably a, the, a bulk of Guinness is sold uh, in Africa. This comes from like like English colonial days uh, where Guinness was being brewed, sort of to be like travel on ships, and so they were hopping it more. We we know all this happened during this time period, but that mm-hmm. style of Guinness it was higher alcohol. It had more hops. Um, it was not it had it never was poured on nitro blend like mm-hmm. it was always just like Made carbon dioxide travel. yeah uh and that style is very popular there so you'll find that um it's actually called guinness foreign extra stout is what it's called and uh yeah so that's it's, it's mostly nigeria right yeah nigeria yeah is where they it's like they drink more guinness but this particular kind of guinness yes but they drink more of that than the regular Guinness is drank in Ireland. Yeah, and I think actually the UK beats out Ireland too. I think, I don't know, the survey I was looking well, at might Well, you know, I mean, the UK is a little bigger. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so those are the top three Guinness okay. drinking places uh, in the world. Uh, yeah, and for the, the last bit of your question there about layered drinks, we're going to answer that sort of next. With, oh, it's next. With the next one. Oh, great. Yeah. All right, so we're going to roll right into that. We got another beer question up next. Yeah, this is from Joe. Hey, Joe, what's up? Joe says, I'm curious about the history of layered drinks, such as the black and tan or the snake bite. All right. Uh, so, yeah, the uh, the history of, uh, as far as uh, I could find, of, like, blending beers together, it's something that was kind of around, like, 17th century in the UK. It was a fairly common request long before cocktail culture took hold. And, you know, it happened in the pub. It happened in the brewery where they would actually just blend beers to get, like, a specific brew. Okay. Um, uh, Seems dangerous. Well, you know, I mean, it's just, you're just dealing with two, like... I mean, for taste. Well... Like, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, like, you make a beer with one hops, you make a beer with other hops, you blend the hops to get, see where, what your flavor profile is you want i feel like if you did that in a modern bar like the bartender would have a conniption blend your beers yeah people still order they these. do that yeah. well, well layer i know layered drinks yeah and well, i mean it's not but layered okay, drinks okay. i'll just let you well because a lot of the like some of these drinks uh the reason like specifically you okay so you wrote to us about a black and tan and that one stays layered because there's a viscosity difference um ah. there's there's a viscosity difference in the two liquids so that one can sit on top of the other. That's not always true with a lot of these other kind of half and half drinks. Mm-hmm. They just blend in the glass. And right. they're still considered half and halves. Um, and they are, like, you'll find them on, like, pub menus in the UK. 
uh, as options. Some of them are more respected than others, uh, I, from what I found. Uh, but we start seeing like the mention of these drinks, usually referred to as half and halves, like around the around the eighteen around the eighteen hundreds, like in print media in both America and the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find uh, some specific info about one of these, which uh, is it's not just beer. It's actually a uh, stout and uh, champagne. Perhaps you've heard of the Black Velvet. Oh, I hadn't. Yeah, uh, it is it is uh, stout and champagne. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> Why? It was, it was made at the Brooks Club in London in 1861, and it was made to mourn the death of Prince Albert, Queen Victoria's prince consort. Uh, it's supposed to symbolize the black or purple cloth armbands that would have been wor- worn by the mourners. Um, I I can't imagine it tasting good. I've had one before. I will say it was very young in my drinking days. It sounded like I think you could have cut anything with champagne and I would have been down. Um, I, it was, it's a weird mix. I feel like champagne is great on its own and, and Guinness is great on its own and you don't need to mix the two. But, nope, you know, no need. There is some history there. Okay. Uh, yeah. So another one of these uh, half and halves that uh, I found a little, uh, not so much history on, I guess people were doing this way back, but a fun little anecdotal story about uh, uh, is the snake bite. Now, if you don't know, the snake, snake bite is a mix of lager and cider. Um, and uh, apparently back around 2001, uh, none other than Bill Clinton was in the UK. Oh, Bill. Uh, yeah, he was at this place called the Old Bell Tavern in North Yorkshire. Uh, in England, and he ordered a snake bite, and he was refused. Oh, why? The tavern owner told him that he would be, uh, he would have his license withdrawn, that he'd be put out of business, he would be in trouble. Really? And I was like, is this really like a, a law? Okay. So I looked into it, and I couldn't find any actual, like, why it would be illegal. It seems like there's certain rules around, like, mixing if you don't have a certain kind of license, you can't mix drinks. You can't mix categories of spirits. Okay. But it appeared to me that there was far more anecdotal comments from bartenders in uh, the UK that suggested that it's more a snake bite is just kind of considered like a drink that miners drink. It's kind oh, of okay. it's obnoxious. It's disrespectful to the beer itself. Mm. You know, like. You don't really want the kind of people that are going to drink that in your bar because you, you're going to have to clean up their mess at the end of the night. Um, I can get behind that. I support that. Yeah. There's even one. There was one bartender. Like cause people just like asked this like in a forum and then a bunch of people responded. And there was some guy that was like bartender here. And he was like, yeah, you know, you, you don't allow those and it keeps the goths out. <laughs> It keeps the goths out. Do goths order snake bites like that? Do you know any goths? I don't. I mean, I don't know any goths in North Yorkshire. Maybe Uh, that. Yeah, maybe it's the goths (laughs) to that specific region. I don't know. Uh, It sounds like it's just kind, just like I think any other drink that bartenders kind of look at in disdain here, like Long Island's here, where a lot of bars won't make you Long Island. They're just like, no, that's a lot. That doesn't taste good. There's There's no reason to give you that. So, so I don't know if maybe this this pub owner was just kind of messing with Bill Clinton or just could not bring himself to do that <laughs> no. even for Bill Clinton. I don't I don't really think there's legislation. Maybe there is. Maybe that's that was a weird specific law, but it sounds like yeah. it's just more like I just don't make me do that, please. Don't, don't no. Make me do I'm just going to tell you I can't do that. Uh, I can't, yeah. can't couldn't 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 do it. Now, one thing that I do want to note 
about uh, about the the probably the best known half and half, which we sometimes refer to as the black and tan. Uh, and we're going to come back to this one a bit when we little preview for our St. Patty's sort oh, of yeah. etiquette guide to St. Patrick's Day uh, in a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. about a month. But uh, you can't. You're not supposed to say black and tan, right? Well, it's in Ireland. It's a no-no. Um, the, the the short story there is black and tan was a nickname for uh, the enemy during the Irish War of Independence in the 1920s. Uh, so, you know, that's yeah. just... All right. That's a teaser for yeah. our St. Patty's Day yeah. episode. Well, Stay we'll, tuned. We'll go more into that. But you can, you know, maybe just be on the safe side because who knows if you got an Irish bartender, maybe just ask for half and half. And a half just and half. Yeah. Just say what, tell you, what want. you want. Yeah. 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 Just, just tell them what you want. Now, Come on, guys. <laughs> while while we're on the topic of uh, layered cocktails, I do want to mention just because I think it's uh, it's something that you've probably all seen. I know when I saw them when I was young and didn't know anything about like w- drink making, I thought they looked really magical and cool. And that's uh, oh, yeah. uh, layered cocktails specifically made with usually liquors and liqueurs. Uh, they're called Pse Café. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That right? I think so. It sounds. I I buy it. I know what right. you're talking about. The uh, ones that look like layered Jello and would yeah. look like if if I was a child, it would look like something I would want. Right. But uh, it's yeah. not Jello. No. It's liquor. It's, and yeah. No. Yeah. It, it it caught on. So like the the term applies to anything. Like the translation is literally like push your coffee. It's kind of like a digestif for after you've consumed coffee. <laughs> kind of follows your coffee. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, that just doesn't sound like a good sign. Like, this is going to... You're going to have to go I, to yeah, the bathroom. Maybe. I don't know. Like, I, I, no. I mean, it's also called a digestif. Like, you know, it's going to do that category at some point. Uh, yeah. But uh, I think these caught on for like a minute. I think it was just a cool trick that people realized, hey, we can do that. Once again, relies on the varying viscosities of liquids to sit on top of each other. So you have to pour them very slowly. It's usually over a spoon to kind of make them cascade down the sides. Uh, And then you would drink them like we wouldn't shoot them. Nowadays, if you see anybody doing them, usually they're shooting them. Um, But you would actually... put a straw into the bottom of it and just suck out each layer at a time. Sometimes the layers are like egg yolks. No, don't. You're not supposed to drink those. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't really stay popular. And for as much as like, you know, modern day uh, mixologists loves to love to pull relics from the past and make them cool again. Let's keep that one in the vaults. Yeah, no one's figured that out for good reason. No. And if you're if something is like that, like it's a bad sign if like the modern version of it is something that you shoot because it's so nasty yeah. like no you don't need to like that's a you could do something else with those ingredients they don't need to be together because yeah usually you're just you're you're a lot of it is just things that are heavy syrup sitting on top of slightly lighter liqueur so you're drinking like just very sweet viscous liqueurs so yeah um, I'm not into it so there's a, there's a little little bit of layered drink history for you, Joe. All right. Our next question is from Trevor from Portland, Oregon. Says, what is the real difference between a barrel-aged vodka and traditionally aged alcohol like whiskey? I've tried the aged vodka and most taste just like a whiskey with more of a bite. What's up with that? 
I mean, he didn't say what's up with that. I said that. <laughs> I'm asking you, what is up with that? Well, um, so this is so the the fact is is that most age spirits are aged in barrels. Um, aging can take pla- place in glass bottles, of course, like you, you know, wine ages on the shelf. Uh, but that's completely thing altogether. Uh, for for this, we're gonna focus on barrel aging. Um, and I'm gonna give you sort of a rough outline of what that means, which will at large answer this question. Um, so barrel aging, we do this for basically two main reasons. The first one is that the spirit is going to take on some of the qualities of the wood that it is encased in. Right. Um, as like as heat affects the barrel, it kind of expands and contracts. The liquor is pulled into the wood, it seeps out of the wood and it gets all those good flavors going. And then the other thing that happens there is oxygen can permeate the barrel. So there's exposure to oxygen. It's not like an airtight seal. Oh, right. Uh, You actually like, you see this because like you can, if you don't want to like invest in a whole barrel, you can buy barrel chips and you can use that. Yeah, to Mm -hmm. like infuse or, or age spirits at home. All right. And if you do that, you can do it in a glass jar, but you generally put like a coffee filter or something over top of it, not like a... A sealed lid because that oxygen is just as important right. as the wood you want some of that yeah okay now the factors to consider about the barrel itself are and some of the things we talk about when we talk about barrel aging are new versus old so mm-hmm. some spirits always have to be aged in new barrels when we talk about bourbon um one of the rules of bourbon is that it has to be in new american oak barrels okay um, I wonder what they do with the old barrels. Uh, oh, the old bourbon barrels go all over the place. Tons of spirits are aged in o- old bourbon barrels. Ooh, I uh, didn't know that. There's actually like one sort of thought on why it has to be new American oak is that the timber lobby had kind of a, a hand in establishing oh, the rules of bourbon. Really? Uh, yeah, so they produce all these barrels. But the good thing is, is you Capitalism. can... Yeah. Uh, but a barrel can take like a good, like two sometimes three fills before you kind of pull all the stuff and you're not going to get anything good out of the Mm -hmm. barrel. Uh, And then the other thing is like reusing a barrel, you get all of the flavors of whatever was in there before. So if you had a really good whiskey in there, you had like a sherry, if you have like a sherry finish on something or a port finish, it's because somebody's used an old sherry barrel or port barrel. And those are delicious. Oh, Um, that sounds really good. Yeah. And I've had like tequilas that have been aged in whiskey barrels. Um, all sorts of really cool cross-pollination can happen with old barrels. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so there's like the old versus new thing. Uh, and then the other thing um, is, uh, well, obviously the type of wood. Uh, we talk about like American oak and French oak are the two kind of main players. But you also see cedar, maple, hickory that mm-hmm. all have their own flavor notes. And then the the char level is some another term we talk about when we talk about barrels. Uh, so that's basically just the... They'll usually burn the inside of the barrel. Um, This started out actually like in the olden days when we would reuse barrels that had been shipped overseas with whatever you can imagine. Pickles, like onions. So you want to get that out of there so you burn it. Right. You couldn't wash it out of the wood. So you would just burn the first few layers of the wood off. But, But what we discovered is that char on the barrel imparts a really nice flavor to oh, the spirit. Is it a little smoky? Yeah. Oh, so, nice. And you have different char levels. So you might have a very light char. You might have a very intense char, depending on what you're going for in your spirit. 
um, that can also affect that. Uh, actually, one factor that kind of goes into this too, which I mentioned like the expansion and contraction of the barrel is big on that. You can really force that with like, I, I was like, when I was looking into this, there are people that are like submerging like their barrels in like what is made to mimic the, like the, uh, what am I trying to think? The like cargo hold of a ship. So like they have it <laughs> rocking gently the whole time. Stop. And they have like a lot of like m- like moisture in the air okay. and very humid to try to like mimic the expansion and contraction that would happen then. Um, you know, they'll have like really like they'll change the client the temperature from really cold to really hot rapidly. They'll raise things up in the storehouse and lower it. So all these things can factor how that spirit is pulled into the wood and pulls out, how the oxygen leaches right. in and we've, leaches out. Yeah, we've kind of talked about that in like um, when did we talk about this? Whereas, like, it's uh, more about, like, the aging happens faster when mm-hmm. it goes through more experiences. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, that happens in, uh, in, in whiskey and also in life. In people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so, so being that all of these things can play into the flavor of what goes into a barrel, uh, coming back to your question, when we're talking about what goes in the barrel when you have a vodka or a whiskey pre-barrel, they're very, 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 very similar things. Right. Is they, they, yeah, I was really confused about this because, like, vodka is distilled grain spirit? We, what does that even mean? Well, vodka can be made from lots of things. Um, it can be made from uh, potatoes. It can be made from wheat. It can be made from rye. It can be made from, uh, from. I mean, I guess you could make it. If it's corn spirit, we usually tend to think of that as whiskey. But really, vodka is just a, it's a grain neutral spirit. It's a spirit that has been fermented. Usually we distill it a few times to kind okay. of get it super pure. But then if you're going to take that and put it into a barrel... Age it. You're like, because what goes into the barrel doesn't have like white whiskey is what we call like young or white dog sometimes. It's right. like whiskey that probably has no age on it. And that stuff is not what you, we, you, you don't ever really see white whiskey as something people sip on because it's mm-hmm. just, it's not what our palate is that we think of as whiskey. So the reason that vodka that you had tastes like whiskey is because it's picked up most of the qualities that you associate with whiskey. Are coming from that barrel that's where right. you get the smoke you get the the tannins you get the the woodiness obviously you get so much like the resin quality so much of the flavor that we associate with whiskey comes from that all-important barrel aging what you start with is just a corn-based spirit you know or i mean it's whiskey so it can be grain it can be rye it can be quinoa it can be all sorts of things that you can that can also be used for vodka so there's not a huge differentiation of the things that go into the barrel depending on what you distilled it from right okay so this is like a squares and rectangles deal where like you know that right like not all squares are rectangles but all rectangles are squares not all whiskey is or not all vodka is whiskey but all whiskey is could technically be vodka sort of but it's like aged and I mean, because we tend to think of all these spirits as being like they all they all are made very specific ways and they start out as one thing and maybe you age it or not, but they're they're all very different. But there's a lot of overlap in these mm. like like when you talk about something like gin, like right. gin starts off really gin is an infused vodka. It's just infused as part of the distillation process. Like usually you're putting the botanicals in like you're still, okay. uh, but it's not 
what you start with is kind of a gray neutral spirit then you're adding botanicals too so a lot of these start off as very similar things like you know Mm -hmm. like rum you're always starting with sugar cane tequila you're always starting with agave but a lot of these spirits that can kind of be based on like they can have grains they can have potatoes they can have sugar beets you're just producing alcohol you're just fermenting alcohol from some sort of sugar base okay uh but but yeah uh trevor that's you're you're not wrong that they taste very similar because a lot of the flavor qualities of barrel aged whiskey are coming from that all-important barrel so i suppose if you stuck a vodka in there it would be primed to pick up a lot of those same flavor notes. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Our last question of this episode comes from Anna. Anna says, my significant other and I have been loving the show. All thanks, guys. Thank you, Anna. We're so glad you listened. The following question recently came up in conversation, and I figured there was no one better to ask. Why are beer and wine and cider classified differently than liquor? Uh, also, can you make cocktails with beer or wine or cider? That's a good question. Um, so answer the first part. What is the difference? Uh, the biggest differentiation is really uh, how they're made. One is Fair. like beer, wine, and cider. These are brewed. Liquor is distilled. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, here is like sort of a quick and dirty lesson in when brewing makes the jump to distilling. I like it when you uh, do it quick and dirty. Yes, it's quick and dirty. All right. So all of these things kind of start out with the same idea behind them. You are basically taking uh, some sort of source of sugar. You're introducing yeast into it. That yeast is going to eat that sugar. It's going to poop out <laughs> the alcohol. That's what it does. And so if you're dealing with a beer, wine, or cider, let's take cider as an example you're gonna take your apple juice you're gonna add yeast to it the yeast is gonna eat all that sugar in that apple juice mm-hmm. and then it's gonna add alcohol to it so you've roughly very roughly made a cider there you right. now have alcohol introduced from the sugars that naturally were present in that apple juice but if you wanted to make like uh an apple brandy from there you might think well i'll just keep feeding my yeast more sugar and it'll up the alcohol content but that's not how that works because mm-hmm. yeast dies around 15% alcohol. Oh, the alcohol kills the yeast. Yes. So they the thing they love them or no, it's poop. That's so why they suffocate on their own waste their... product. Okay. Basically they, they die from, they, they poop themselves to death. <laughs> this is so appetizing. I'm so sorry. So this is where the, the big, jump to distilled spirits comes uh what you do then is like you're gonna take that that boozy apple juice Uh and you're gonna put it in a still and what a still does is it once again this is if any like like biochemists or like distillers out there like this is you're missing so many points i know this is just super simple super pared down but make it so that i can understand it well so what the still does is it 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 heats you you heat up that juice and the alcohol which obviously like evaporates at a a quicker temperature oh yeah it's gonna evaporate up and then you're gonna condense it down into a second chamber so that's like once distilled so you're losing all the other stuff and just pulling out that liquor, that okay. alcohol that so the yeast produced. Yeah, you, you lose some of the liquid, so it's just basically a higher concentration. Right. Okay. 
So cool. yeah, so I that's that. and then you're gonna you know distill it like if you hear triple distilled, but that's exactly what that means. You pulled that liquor out three times, and every okay. time you're leaving behind solids, you're leaving behind flavorings, you're leaving behind all the other stuff that got bound to those alcohol molecules. Cool. Yeah. Science. So so yeah. So basically, every every liquor kind of starts off in the same process as beer, wine, or cider. All these things are sort of made the same way. Wine and cider have fruits, sugars that are naturally present. When you're dealing with like grains for beer, you're you have a malting process. You have to like kind of get the starches to convert to sugars, and then the sugars are eaten. But they're basically the same thing. That's why the liquor has more alcohol in it. Yeah. Now and you have to sell it somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it comes down to, to proof or percentages, but I will say this does get this does get a little messier. It's not really this simple because there are liqueurs that have proof similar to wine. Mm. You know, you can there are beers out there that have over fifteen percent alcohol, which we've talked about, yes, where you're basically okay. you're doing a similar thing. You're kind of freezing off the alcohol, separating it, and right. adding it back into beer, like Applejack. Yeah, so these these lines can That's get a little a beer, blurred. but the the alcohol content is not a definitive separation here, but it is the only one that it was really at least like that's yeah there are exceptions but it's generally true okay i'll say that all right yeah can you make a cocktail from beer or wine or cider we've Uh, done some of that right yeah absolutely yeah uh there's a huge precedent for that you know there are there are cocktails with all of these things as the base. If we're talking wine, we've all had sangria or, oh, yeah. um, you know, mulled wine is really just a hot cocktail because you're adding usually brandy into that or, mm-hmm. or some sort of other, you're adding other spirits right. into it. Same with sangria. Because you could call a cocktail just any combination of liquor or some of any alcohol and something else or yeah. t- more than one alcohol absolutely i mean i would say like a lot of these uh a lot of the, the kind of beer cocktails that come to mind don't have a base spirit or a secondary spirit in them they're just like you know beer mixed with a liqueur beer mixed with certain juices beer mixed with ginger ale we're gonna get into some of these like shandies radlers micheladas there are all kinds of cocktails that have a brewed base instead of a spirit base. Mm-hmm. And we've definitely, we've made some cider cocktails on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, obviously, as I'm saying all these, this sounds like something that's easier to show than to tell. Yeah, I think that's, you know what? That's what we're going to do, Taylor. Oh, okay. We're going to make some of these beer cocktails yeah. on our YouTube channel. So check that out tomorrow. Thank you for all these questions and definitely like send some more in. These were fun. And if you haven't heard your question yet, we've got a few that are saved for like full yeah. episodes because there was just a, a lot to cover mm-hmm. there. Um, and I think we can for sure do another installment of, of these. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, some some questions we can use for like a whole episode and some of them are a little bit shorter like this. We like, we'd love to answer them with a little bit more concise. Concisity is concisity a word? Concisities, sure. Concisity. You made it. One. I made it. I it's, like it. It's a word now. It sounds um, like niceties. Niceties. Concisities and concisities. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Well, so so thanks for sending these questions. Thank you to everyone who's donated to our Patreon on all of our new Patreon members. Once again, all it takes if you want to ask us a question is just sign up for our Patreon. That means you can give us $1. You're going to want to give us more, though, because we're going to uh, be adding some really cool perks. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So just look out for that. February. February's the month guys february is the month yeah so you know if you're if you're like me and february is a bummer because you're like ah it's valentine's day and and that's for couples 
But don't worry, you can just make it make it a whole other reason to celebrate February. Because yep. there are a bunch of fun surprises that we have debuting for you, our Patreon members, very, very soon. That's to, to give our love to you. We're going to put the link for that in our show notes. Thank you everyone who tweeted and retweeted about the show this week. I'm going to shout out some names. Mary Smurl, Kay Throne, Jeeves the Scottish Bunny, Sydney McElroy, uh, Blood for the Burden, Austin Wills, Purple Worm, Jennifer, Vizzy, Liz Shiraz, Stephanie Cooperstein, Stephanie, a different Stephanie. <laughs> um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NeatBoozeCast. And don't forget that when you tweet at us, don't put our handle first or else nobody else will see it. Thank you to Absurdist for our wonderful theme music. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and give us a review if you like. We love reading those reviews. That's so nice of you guys. Yeah, so head on over to our YouTube channel. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, it will be there. Um, if it's Monday, then you can go there anyway and look at some of our older videos. Yeah. If you feel like it. They're, bunch, they're there. Bunch there. Yeah, there's stuff there. There you go. Well, uh, well, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. I've been Taylor Smurl. And I've been Liz June. And this has been Neat. Neat.